Morning, Kevin. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? Yeah, it's been a busy week. I don't know if I've got... Have I achieved a lot this week? I'm not quite sure, actually. I'll have to reflect today when I do my plan for next week. How's yours Yeah, going? I know what you mean. I feel like a future episode should be how to protect your diary from Zoom course, which I don't think I've cracked yet. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, I completely agree. So this week's episode is all about recruitment. So we were just working it out. We think between us, we've probably recruited over the last kind of 10, 15 years, well over 200 people. And so this episode's all about the lessons learned. So what are the pitfalls to avoid? And what are the success factors that will hopefully shortcut your recruitment? No guarantees it'll succeed, but at least you can learn from some of the mistakes we've made and some of our successes. Yeah, exactly. And there's trends that I think with all of this, looking forwards, you don't know what's going to work and what isn't going to work, but there's trends that you can look backwards on and say, actually, that's where I've made common mistakes and you learn to avoid them once you take that feedback on board. So from my side, there's a kind of like the, as a starting point, the thing for me is around attitude. And um, we've talked about this quite a lot. And I was thinking of kind of like the summary point for me is attitude is absolutely necessary, but not sufficient. But what you can't do is you can't find someone that's a real expert, an amazing expert in their field, who's got completely the wrong attitude and hope it's going to work because it absolutely won't. No. No, there's no chance. There's, um, I, I mean, you've quite often said to me, if like you hire for the skill and the will, and if you don't have the skill yet, but you've got a great attitude and you will learn it, then that's fine as long as you're prepared to put the time and the effort in. If you don't have the will, nothing's ever going to happen. Exactly right. I mean, I can think of a number of people in my head whereby, you know, the uh, they were brilliant at what they did, yeah, but they weren't the right cultural fit for the organisation at that time. And unsurprisingly, the kind of the organism, as in the business, uh, rejected them because they just don't fit. Yeah. And I think it's understanding what fits for your company. It's not that there are good and bad people and you're judging them in society. It's just what is it that works for you as a company and what do you need versus, yeah, kind of what doesn't fit and isn't going to work out for you. So out of interest. So how do you work out? If someone's got the right attitude first, before you get into their skills or their ambitions, or how do you work out if they've got the right attitude? I think in an interview process, when you're first having that conversation, it's things like curiosity. They ask questions. They've done their homework. So if you say things like, if we said to them, we're an SEO agency and we work with ASICs as one of our clients and they're surprised. It's like, well, you clearly haven't even looked at the homepage of our website then. So it's kind of like just knowing that they've they've done a bit of their homework and yeah, curiosity to ask questions. And also I always try and ask them about past successes. What is it, like one of our core values is be proud of your work. I ask them, what is it that they're proud of that they've achieved? And you can tell if they really speak with passion about, I did this as a project and this is what happened, then straight away it's like, okay, that's great because I want you to take that and do that with our clients. Whereas if it's quite a, yeah, kind of loose answer, or there's just not that level of passion there behind something that they've done, and they just can't explain it, then that's a bit of a red flag to me. Absolutely. I think another one for me is, yeah, we talk about lifelong learning as a core theme in our podcast. And it's a core theme because it goes through everything that we do. So when you're recruiting people, you know, just asking them, you know, so how do you learn? So what do you do to learn? It could be you listen to podcasts, you watch YouTube videos, you read books, you know, and if all someone is doing is, you know, watching Game of Thrones, 
There's nothing wrong with that. It's a brilliant series, which I haven't watched yet, but uh, apparently it's a brilliant <laughs> series. But if that's all they're doing, then that's quite singular. You know, whereas we want people that are curious in life and want to learn different things. You know, we talked the other day about no code and you and me were like, oh, that sounds interesting. Let's go and find out about it. Yeah. And even yesterday I explored the potential of helping a friend rank on Amazon because I'm curious. It's like, it's not something that is going to be a big moneymaker in any ways, but it's more, this is quite interesting. I haven't done that before. I feel like I should know more about this. And I think that's absolutely when we're looking at the profile of a company. And I, I think the, in the early stages, the founders' values are really important because that's what forms the company. And that's kind of the, the one thing that I guess you can guarantee is the continuity of the founder kind of through those early to mid stages, at least of this is what that company's makeup is going to be like. And then from there onwards, I'd say probably by the point of around 10 people that you maybe can't uh, get those founders values across straight away by working around people in person. That's where you need to formalize them more. And the other thing that I think is quite interesting is I went to a supper club dinner a while back and someone there was saying, if you agree on everything very quickly, that might be a bad sign. And actually you should encourage disagreements to the point that you're you're letting in different ways of thinking into your company to see different perspectives in some of your own blind spots. And I, I do think that's a really important point in terms of like the diversity that you're you're getting just different views and opinions from. And if you look at junior people that come into an organization, as in, you know, they're either younger or they're just less experienced in life, no matter what their age is. But one of the key traits is the ability to challenge, the confidence to challenge. And it is a confidence thing. And I've seen this when I was recruiting back in my consulting, kind of scale consulting days, was that we looked for people that were quite happy to challenge people that appeared to be more senior. And the challenge can be as simple as, that's an interesting point of view. What made you come to that conclusion? You know, why do you think that? And you need the right culture to do that. I remember when I went on my Cranfield course, I think I've told you this before, but Richard, who was my mentor, asked, oh, how have the last couple of weeks been? And I, my answer was, it's great. We had a big argument as a team the other day. And he was just like, that's a really thing, weird thing to be positive about. And what I explained was before, I think we had a culture where people were worried about expressing their opinions. And they were worried that it's going to come back to bite them if they say what they really think. And then that to me was the, the breaking point of people aren't scared anymore. And now they're going to say what they think. And if they say what they think, I can help to fix the real issues because I know what they are. It's not that they don't know what the issues are before. They're just sat on them. And I can't do anything with that because I don't know anything about it. So I think it goes both ways. You have to have that open, transparent environment where you're almost craving the negative feedback because then you can act upon it and improve from it but know that it's not going to come back to bite people in fact actually it's a really positive that people are expressing their opinions i mean really interesting point on a in a different sector actually that this is absolutely applicable to is i've worked a lot you know with private equity and if you look across all the different private equity houses how do they assess whether the the investment opportunity is a good opportunity or not and there are a couple of P firms that I looked at a few years ago who had a very different culture and way of doing part of their assessment. 
because often what will happen, not always, but often, the deal committee will decide. And the deal committee is basically the, the senior people in the firm, lots of experience of doing deals, and they'll sit around and they'll work out, you know, based on all the evidence they've got, should they go to the next stage. And a couple of P firms I looked at, actually what they had was, and they'd have like 50 people. You get 50 people in the room from the most junior person that's just joined, who's got, you know, one year experience up to the managing partner in the firm. And you'd, someone would sponsor the deal opportunity. They put it on the table and everyone would critique it. And no matter what level you were in the organization, all criticism and comment is welcome. And it was that inquiring mind that, you know, no one knows everything. And someone that's very junior, that's not actually, will look at it from a different perspective. And they said that became really powerful because people would say something and you'd go, I'd never thought of that. Yeah, exactly. And that's where the best ideas can often come from. It's that that new perspective that you just wouldn't have looked at before. And I think, you know, when recruiting, let's talk about that kind of purpose thing as well. Because all the, is it Dan Pink? Yeah, Dan Pink. Yeah, yeah Dan Pink. So autonomy, mastery and purpose. So again, when we're recruiting people, how do you kind of feed that into the recruitment process, into your brand? How do you make sure that you signal to candidates this is a place whereby we want you to master your craft, we want you to be you know, relatively autonomous, and we have a purpose that you can buy into. What do you do about that? I think almost taking them point by point, but in terms of mastery, it's I think some of it is being proud of your work and showing what you're doing. That's definitely a big thing. We have touched upon that a minute ago, but I think one of the things that I always really strive to get across is this is our way of doing things. This works really well for our clients. You need to come in and learn that. However, we're not 100% perfect. I've done SEO since 2003. It's changed every day since. And if we don't keep sharp, we've lost it. So we need everyone to come in. R&D and innovation is not the responsibility of one person within the company. It's everyone's responsibility within the company. And that's how we learn, improve and innovate. So it's not that People come in and they just do things their own way. They come in, they do things the re-signal way. But then they've been in other agencies, other in-house environments, freelancing, etc. that they have their own ideas. Some of their ideas will be better than what we do today. So let's learn from that. Or some of their ideas will help to take what we've got and improve it to the next level. And that's, I think, to me, that's one of the big things. And Liz, who does our HR, actually, she um, was talking about this with a, a new candidate or a new hire that we've brought in this week and her view of the way I talk about this is just a very humble way of looking at yeah we don't know it all of course we don't know it all because (laughs) if we did then it's yeah like I say it's kind of that's where we start to make mistakes and believe our own hype etc so I, I think that's something that certainly at the stage I'm involved in hiring it's very much this is us this is who we are this is where we're going and where we're going like we've always said, we might have a clear target on where we want to get to, but we're completely flexible on how we get there. And it's a team approach of which everyone individually is responsible for. And we're very, in ReSignal, you know, we're very focused on e-commerce. That's our kind of target area, which is, you know, broad but a niche, I guess I would call it. And again, when someone comes in, you know, we want someone that comes in to have a passion about that. You know, if they're not passionate about helping our e-commerce clients grow and develop and become you know, more profitable and more successful, then that's probably not going to be a good fit. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. It's We need people that are passionate about our clients. I, I think we work with 
amazing clients in terms of the brands that we've got. And we want people that share that level of excitement of, yes, I want to work with ASICS. Yes, I want to work with Wellbrim, et cetera. And these are brands that I'm really excited to get stuck into. If they have that passion, they're a good fit for us. I think to go back to another point is we have always, or I say always, but certainly over the last couple of years, focused much more on a lean, strong, experienced team. And now we're at a point that we are growing. We're balancing that out a little bit with people that have more kind of career paths ahead of them that can become our next experienced senior people. And I think there is a balance behind it. I think we definitely don't want to be the largest team possible, but kind of quite weak in terms of what we're doing. We want to have that seniority behind it. We have career opportunities for people that allow them to grow with us. But at the same time, it's not kind of like that superstar Galactico style model. If you want to look at like the Real Madrid football team, if you've got the Beckham, Figos, Ronaldos, etc. That doesn't work either. It's like you have to have a team that if everyone's there and they have an attitude of, oh, I don't want to do that task, I'm above that, then it, it doesn't work. So you need people that have that level of, I'm going to get stuck in as well. Absolutely. And the last point that I had down was around, uh, interesting, the induction was when you found these great people that want to join your kind of journey that you're on as a business, how do you induct them? The first 90 days are critical, you know, and I've had experiences where I've got it badly wrong and experiences where it's gone very well. But that first 90 days, they need meaningful work to do. They need a buddy that they can talk to. They need mentorship around them. They need to get involved in client work early on. Anything you'd say to people that are on our audience about that? Yeah, I agree. It's important, crucial. And there are a lot of stats around if people have a good experience, even within like the first 24, 48 hours, that indicates whether they're going to stay with a company for the next 12 months, two years, wow. three years. <laughs> 48 hours. Wow. Yeah. So, <laughs> which makes sense because it same as working with a client, if you start on a bad foot, it's such an uphill battle. And if you start with a few nice wins, then it's so much easier. And I think it's exactly the same with people in the team. And yeah, I think it's, it's trying to give them enough information about the brand. We are a small team that's busy. So I'm always conscious that it's not the easiest to give everyone the full experience, but it is important. One example yesterday is I did a induction call with Ruben, who's a new starter of ours in a content coordinator role. And it was really just giving him more of a history of the company and then where we're going as a company afterwards. And from my perspective, I think that's important because I just assume everyone knows all this stuff. Of course, you know what I did 10 years ago. Why wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, actually, no, why would you? And I think that's the thing that from my side, that's really important is just to show that we're willing to kind of help people. Likewise, we're willing to support them. So we've put a lot of effort into hiring people. And I know everyone will talk about hire slowly, fire quickly. And I feel like the fire quickly is our failing as a company if we've hired the wrong person, if we do that. And actually, I think what we want to do is hire slowly, get it right, and then support people and back them. And that everyone's different in different ways. How do we give them the level of support that they need? Some people are very autonomous and they get on with things. There's people in our team that have come in recently that have been great at just being a self-starter and getting stuff done. There's others that do need a bit more support. So I don't think you can actually treat everyone equally in the sense of let's make sure that they're, yeah, kind of supported fully on absolutely everything if that's not their style of working. Yeah, yeah. 
No, that's a very good point, actually. It is a very good point. Yeah. So what you're saying is that the people that you bring in, some will be self-starters, some need more support, some might start really quickly, but then you've got a spot when they do need more support and more coaching and development. So yeah, there's no one path. I'd agree with yeah, that. Yeah, you, you treat everyone fairly, but you adapt to what works best for those individuals as well. So I think in summary, because I think we're about probably about out of time. So my kind of points that I kind of wrote down are attitude is critical. Yeah. A learning culture is absolutely essential. And that comes from the leader, the most senior person, the founder right through the organization. That mastery, autonomy and purpose. So how does that play into the recruitment, but also the kind of onboarding and living those values? Yeah. And then induction. That first, as I've now learned, 48 hours is critical, as is the first 90 days. What are your yeah. kind of summary points? Yeah, so I think number one is no superstars. And I think just in my own background, I've, I've admitted several times um, just on this podcast alone that I don't consider myself to be an expert. In general, I probably have a stronger profile than most people within our company in terms of the industry. So if I don't consider myself an expert, we absolutely shouldn't be having other people in the company, whether they've got a stronger profile or weaker than myself, that's irrelevant. But it's no one's a superstar in the company. It's we're all in it to, and again, another one of our values is collaborate. So we're in it together as a team. Um, I think the no blame culture is really important because it's about transparency and openness and ideas that you can learn from. I think there's a couple of other things. One was around making sure that you have the right balance of a team. So I think the average of a team is really important. I wouldn't go quite as far to say as you're only as strong as your weakest link. But at the same time, I do think if you're too unbalanced, then that's a problem. Yeah. And probably both ways as well. It's kind of trying to keep the right split across the team that you need in order to allow opportunities for growth, as well as having like the senior people in order to lead and help people through the ranks maybe in more mentoring roles so those are probably my three things i've got another one but i'll leave that to another day and another podcast <laughs> very good all right it's great coming. really enjoyed it as always and yeah have a good weekend okay you too thanks mike cheers thanks